and I want people to buy deals from us and I want them to make more money than, than I did. Right. The flipper deserves to make more money than the wholesaler. In my opinion, Um, they're taking on more risk and they're putting in more time with the deal. They should make more money. So I am not here to penny pinch every single deal. It's all about fostering relationships. And if I can do a 5k wholesale deal or a 50k wholesale deal, I want that buyer to come back. Welcome to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast, where we discuss finding, financing, and facilitating off-market real estate deals. I'm your host, Dejerdun Tong, and I'm joined today on the show by Jason McNeil to discuss and share his experience on how he was able to leverage his sales skills to succeed in wholesaling and how he used that success to transition into the world of mortgages. A little bit about Jason. Jason is a full-time real estate investor who started his journey wholesaling and has been a part of close to 250 wholesale deals across Southern Ontario. He has since leveraged that experience and success to transition into being a mortgage agent focused on CMHC financing. In today's episode, Jason and I discuss how he was able to do that many deals. We also discuss which skill sets he's seen that really critical to success in wholesaling. And finally, how he was able to leverage his experience in his transition. So guys, you do not want to miss this episode. Be sure to listen to the very end. Before we dive in, we want to say a big thank you to everyone who is listening to this podcast. If you are a fan, please like, subscribe to the podcast, and we would appreciate a five-star rating and review. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast. Deji, how's it going, man? It is a pleasure to be on here today. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. It's, it's, it's really an honor to be interviewing you. You know, when you said that number the first time, you know, 250, I had to take a few <laughs> minutes to process to process the worth of experience that's coming on here today. So um, I'm really excited that you, you've agreed to share your experience with all our listeners. And um, I, I'm excited. And I know everyone who's going to listen to you is super excited. So thank you very much for coming on today, man. No, man, of course. It's, uh, like I said, a pleasure to to be on here. Uh, truthfully, this is my, my first podcast. And so, uh, you know, when you approached me, I was uh, excited to get on here, share some of my experiences and, you know, hopefully somebody can, and somebody out there listening today can take some tidbits from it and uh, improve, you know, an, an aspect of their real estate uh, career as well. Perfect, man. So it'll be interesting to start off with, you know, who Jason McNeil is. I know that's always the first question everyone wants to know. Who are you? And, um, you know, can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, man, a great question. Probably the hardest one of the evening, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jason McNeil, 33-year-old, born and raised in London, Ontario. Um, you know, truthfully, family and friends above everybody, everything else, I should say. And uh, an individual that's driven, born uh, for success, hardworking, collaborative, undoubtedly, and usually the tallest and loudest one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
you know, a career full of sales for the most part that ultimately has uh, resulted in real estate full time now, uh, which started with wholesaling and is now transitioned into to being a mortgage agent. Yeah, that's super interesting because, you know, not so many people understand that quite a number of the roles in real estate actually require sales. For wholesaling, a lot of successful wholesalers like have sales backgrounds, and you know it's actually interesting that you 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 are tying you know your sales experience from wholesaling to you know your sales experience being a mortgage broker. And there's something else that you said that was very interesting. You being the tallest in the room, so I always get those comments as well whenever I walk into rooms. But I think when we stood side by side at the multifamily conference, it seemed like you were taller. So you know it's like okay. I shouldn't be standing next to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got you got some good height on you as well, man. But uh, you know, together, you know, we are obviously a couple of the tallest in the room. That, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so you you mentioned that you started off with wholesaling. Well, could you maybe give us an insight into um, how that journey started? You know, why wholesaling? Um, just give us your thoughts there. Yeah, man, absolutely. So when I was 24, I actually attended a Keyspire conference. My mom like dragged me out to this Keyspire <laughs> conference in in uh, my hometown. I had to drive back at the time. I was I was living in Toronto, and I was doing sales there. I was 24 years old, living in Toronto, you know, having the time of my life. And I went to this conference and was actually like blown away at you know the outcomes of what real estate can provide. And within that yep. first year since the, of that conference, ended up purchasing a duplex in London that I'm actually sitting in right now. It's, you know, I live in House Hack in, in one of the units after I moved back from Toronto. But I, at the time in Toronto, I was, I was doing a sales job, sports technology, um, and had this mm -hmm. rental property and um, started to really, you know, in, enjoy looking after this property. And then from there, you know, bought another one, bought another one. And I was still living in Toronto doing this sales gig. And that sales gig, ultimately, uh, I saturated the market in which I was working in and knew that my income was going to start to dry up. I ultimately did some networking um, and connected with, you know, a few people at some, some events. And one thing led to another. I moved back to London and got a sales position with, uh, you know, a small a wholesaling company at the time, but we, you know, we blew it up in the, in 2020, 2021, and that was DCI properties. And, um, you know, learned a lot there. Okay. Um, you know, we did a good portion of those 250 deals. You know, we did over 2020, 2021, we all know where real estate went in those, you know, those, those years. And, uh, yeah. once I, I got into it full time, I knew that this is, you know, where I wanted to be, uh, for the rest of my career, whether that was wholesaling or not, it had to be in real estate. Oh, wow. Oh, that's super powerful. So you started off with DCI and before you moved into the mortgage broken world, did you leave DCI or, um, how did you sort of handle that transition? Yeah, totally, man. So, you know, ultimately, as you want to continue to grow your career, um, you got to, you know, somewhat take things into your own hands. So at the start of 2022, I, you know, went off on my own uh, and, I, you know, I brought a couple 
uh, people along for the ride. Um, you know, there's four of us now outside of myself, so I guess five total with the private home buyers. Yep. We're like a boutique wholesaling group. Nothing, you know, nothing too large. Just uh, uh, we're out of London. We focus on London surrounding. I would say we don't go anything further than two hours from London. With the market turning in 2022, you know, admittedly things were were uh, you know much more challenging. As you know, obviously you can attest, and yep. many other real estate investors can attest to. Um, but you know, with the challenge, you know, we've grown from it since starting. We, you know, we've done a, a good number of deals, and um, you know, all four of us, or all five of us, I should say, we all have other stuff going on right now. Wholesaling is, although it's it, it's a very uh, has a lot of reward with it if it's not going well you do need other sources of income to to keep going so um yeah we are you know still plugging away on our own end the private home buyers if you haven't heard of us check us out phbdeals.ca um and uh yeah man now you know focusing on, on on mortgages but wholesaling for the better part of you know the last three years has very much been my life oh fantastic you make it very Interesting point that I, I wanted to touch on your transition from wholesaling, you know, to being a mortgage broker, right? Because sure. quite a number of people that start off with wholesaling, um, it's usually because of the outsized returns, as you alluded to, you know, while you were at DCI. Um, so, can you walk us through your thought process, you know, when thinking about the transition, you know, given that you've spent a lot of time in wholesaling, you have the experience, you have the sales skills. Um, the upside that wholesaling provides versus the upside sure. that being a mortgage broker provides. Just wanted to get your thoughts on how you, you know, handle that transition and, and the thought process. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, like I said, you know, 2022 things, you know, got, got more challenging in, in wholesaling, the transactional business, the flipping business, um, you know, things really dried up and I was kind of sitting there like, okay, you know, do I want to keep pushing this? And, and pursuing this, or do I want to also learn, you know, uh, a, a new skill that I can add to the belt? Um, and okay. at, at one point, I was like, "Do I leave real estate entirely?" And I and I felt like, you know, I've I've done so much that I think that that would be a very quick decision. And and uh, so, you know, one thing led to another. Got talking with like a lender that you know does a lot of flip financing. Like, you should consider being a mortgage agent. I think you'd be really good at it. And Honestly, just went and got the got the, the uh, license in in a weekend. It, it does not take much to, uh, you know, not to downplay mortgages, but to at least get your license. There yep. isn't a whole lot behind it. And um, from there, you know, had chatted with you know Josh Finlay quite a bit on the obviously the broker and, and owner of, of Finley Mortgages, and told him, hey man, you know, thinking of becoming a mortgage agent, I think I'd be really good at it. And uh, you know, now full time with him and and the, and the Finley Mortgage team. I looked at uh, obviously the the reward of wholesaling. I didn't want to drop that, but also how much I love deals and being a part of that. That I wanted to yep. see what else, what other people are doing out there. And I always found that the financing was a very um, interesting piece um, of the whole yep. equation. Yep. You know, I, I know how to find the deal now. I know how to finance the deal. And being able to bring those together, talk to investors about that as a whole, I find that whether it is wholesale deals or it is um, potential mortgages, I'm able to bring so much more value to people that it's just equating uh, in more business on both sides. Bro, that's super powerful man, because you, what you just mentioned now, 
reminds me of this book that I I usually reference this book every single time. Um, Stefan Agnew's Money People Deal. Now, quite a number of people say the book that shaped their real estate journey was um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But for me, I think it was Money People Deal because the concept that I got from it is for every transaction, you need three parts to make that Mm -hmm. transaction work. Money, people, and deal. And I remember vividly in the book, he mentioned that if you have one of the three, you know, you aren't really that phenomenal. You know, like if you have the deal, you are a wholesaler. If you have the money, you're just a lender. If you have, you know, the people, you're just a contractor. But if you have two out of the three, you become way more valuable. And to your point, the fact that you know how to find deals and you also know how to finance deals gives you leverage and, you know, you're able to actually provide more value. So I just wanted to echo what you said, because that came out very strongly in the book. Yeah, well said, man. I actually have the book sitting on my desk right here. It's one of five that I keep in front of me at all times. And um, on top of that, one of his equations for finding the ARV, you know, is actually a sticky note that just sits on my uh, desktop uh, monitor at all times. So if I'm like short on time, just quick, quick look at the sticky note. All right, let's run those numbers. And it's amazing, like how okay. accurate that, that ARV equation could be. So yeah, I'm right there with you on that, that book, of course. So for the benefit of people who are listening, who maybe have not read the book, or, you know, people that have read the book, but have forgotten, could you maybe walk us through that equation? You know, how you think through data analysis from a wholesaling standpoint? Yeah, so um, 15%, so the ARV minus 15% of the ARV, okay, which is like your closing costs, realtor costs, um, minus the reno. And, you know, if you work with your contractor and some will say, well, I don't work by square footage, but if you can just understand what a generic cost per square foot renovation is for your area or, you know, the let's call it Southwestern Ontario per se, um, that minus your profit is going to equal your purchase price. And as he says in the book, you know, running that equation on its own is going to eliminate out of a hundred deals, you're probably going to end up with like three, maybe. I think he says, yeah. I can't remember yeah. what happened <laughs> with, but it's not a high number. So, you know, yeah. having that, you know, you bring up that book and having that equation. Yeah. Those are, it's one that I, you know, run by quite a bit and, and being able to offer that uh, as a mortgage agent, I, I can tell is, is showing value and people are quite appreciative of it. Well, that's fantastic. Man. Thanks for sharing that. So, for you to do that analysis, you would essentially need to have the rental budgets or at least an idea of how much it's going to cost. Of course. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, if you're a new investor or even a savvy investor, like a savvy investor will tell you that they could look at, you know, the photos of a house and instantly tell you, you know, how much a ballpark it's going to need. If you're a new investor, start to ballpark your rooms and that yeah. alone will, will start to get you more accurate. And obviously you want to get some contractors in to understand how they work and and build relationships there. But if you're able to like look at photos and be like, yeah, that's 80 grand, you know, that's 120 grand um, pretty quickly. You can then throw those into um, equations quite fast and and, and make decisions um, quickly as well. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that one. One equation that I use, um, it's, it's just 60% of the ARV. So, 
you know how you mentioned you take out 15% for the realtor fees, the, the closing costs and the holding costs. I usually add another 25% for the rental budgets if I don't know what the exact rental budget is. So sometimes I use it to just anchor the seller's expectation, you know, just to get a sense yeah. of, you know, if the seller is looking to sell at a discount or looking to sell retail. So that way I get a reaction immediately and then I'm able to um, just move quickly. So for, and this is because I used to do a lot of wholesaling virtually where I don't ever right. see the properties. So it's usually just, you know, getting the ARV and then taking 60% and saying, hey, you know, if I were to offer you something in this range, you know, you, you know, well, that's what we do. And then depending on the yeah. answer, you know, we'll move forward or not. Of course. Yeah. Um, no, and another great way of, of doing it, man, for sure. <laughs> okay. So if we were to take a step back, um, you know, you, you shared with us how um, you run your deals. Well, I also wanted to find out about how your sales experience, you know, has been very critical to your wholesaling success. Because you mentioned that you spent a lot of years in sales. And I know that a lot of successful wholesalers, you know, have sales experience. But it would be good to share your thoughts on how that experience really helped with your wholesaling experience. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people look at wholesaling as just meeting with a seller, right? They're like, oh, I got to get the deal. I got to get the deal. I got to get the deal. Um, you also got to sell the yeah. deal. Um, you got to dispo that deal, right? Yeah. So um, uh, there's obviously two sides of a wholesale deal, acquisition, disposition. On the acquisition side, you know, the sales experience has been huge on, you know, you know one, prospecting. Uh, two, once you've actually got a deal in the door, you know, identifying what their motivations are, uh, their pain points, yeah. breaking down barriers to then open people up and providing solutions, really listening and just hearing people out. Um, and then, and then from there negotiating with them and, and ultimately, ultimately closing, you know, finding ways to ask for the sale, finding a ways to, as, as you know, as you just said, set, set expectations with the seller. Um, and then outside of that, you know, organizing your CRM, follow-up, 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 um, you know, on the acquisition side alone, being a sales rep and then going into wholesaling, th those areas were, were huge for me um, that I learned prior to even joining real estate. And then on the dispo side, um, you know, now you're talking negotiations as well. Uh, that can be quite ongoing these days. Buyers, everything needs to be yeah. lower <laughs> with buyers. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know what I don't know what's what's good. Like sometimes it's like this is low, but it needs to be lower. So negotiations <laughs> is obviously huge. <laughs> um, being able to somewhat give a bit of a scarcity to the deal and making people actually want to move, right? Some urgency, uh, making an op it an opportune time to purchase. But ultimately, with yep. buyers fostering relationships as well, right? Building it long term. I want people to call us, and I want people to buy deals from us, and I want them to make more money than than I did, right? The flipper deserves yep. to make more money than the wholesaler, in my opinion. Um, they're taking on more risk, and they're putting in more time with the deal. They should make more money. So I am not here to penny pinch every single deal. It's all about fostering relationships. And if I can do a 5K wholesale deal or a 50K wholesale deal, I want that buyer to come back. And, and I think that understanding in sales that it's all about fostering relationships is a, is a huge piece. You touched on the points that I know that I've always wanted to do better at, which is 
following up with the buyer even after the sale, right? Because right. to your point, knowing that the buyer made money and knowing yeah. that, you know, the like the deal was successful gives you some level of, you know, comfort, peace that, okay, you, like you, you helped someone make money. I recall that there was a deal that we wholesaled and I saw that the, the buyer had put on Instagram that he did a full burr. And, you know, to your point, he took on more risk. You know, he was working with contractors. He spent like an additional four or five months, you know, getting that deal done. Um, he managed timelines well. And, mm-hmm. you know, he did the refinance. There's a lot of things that go into actually closing on a deal, managing the renovations, doing it in time, managing your budgets, and then doing a refi successfully, getting tenants. A lot of those things, like, those are skill sets in and of themselves, right? And Totally. To your point, I agree that, you know, from a wholesaling standpoint, you can't expect to make more than that person who has done, like, two, three, four, five more steps than you've done. But seeing that, you know, he did a full burr, was super interesting for me. And I thought, you know what, it would be good if not only do I have some of these buyers come on the podcast to share their experience buying from us, but also for me to keep following up, to, you know, just to understand how they are dealing with these deals so that it also yeah. helps me in the future, you know, just to consistently you know, keep wholesaling good deals. Yeah, man, I want to see people make a boatload of cash, right? I want it to be a win-win all the way around. And I like to say win-win-win where the seller also wins too, yeah. right? Like, and, and it yeah. very much is doable. It's it's challenging at times, but um, I've seen it happen many, many times. And, and you obviously have the opportunity to do, to do a lot of deals. And um, I love to see the success of buyers like that. That is uh, an awesome feeling. Cool, man. So with this experience that you've you've had, I can imagine that you've had home run wholesale deals and you've had not so <laughs> home run wholesale deals. <laughs> so, you know, you know, ha- having been part of about 250, I think your experience would be very, very, very um, interesting to share. So if you could mm-hmm. give us an insight into, for example, let's start with like the best wholesale deal that you think, you know, this was win, 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 win. Yeah. Um, you know, what would that be? And then on the flip side, you know, what wholesale do you, did you think like, oh my God, why am I even in this line of business? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, there is, uh, with anything in life, there's ups and there's downs, obviously. Um, for successful real estate deal, I actually want to just bring up one that, that's closing this week with PHB um, that we're, okay. we're very happy about as a company because you mentioned win, win, win. It's almost like a, a win, 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 win. And I say that because the seller, nice. um, he's owned it since 08, you know, bought it for like 150 grand. It was, um, and he envisioned this, you know, immaculate house that, you know, truthfully never got off the ground. He uh, um, went through some challenges over the last decade, but nonetheless, with anything in real estate, uh, time is on your side, you're usually going to win. And, um, you know, I went to this house expecting, uh, let's call it a hundred thousand dollar rental. I would say it's more of a quarter million in terms of rental size. Whoa. Yeah. So there was some major negotiations there, um, where ultimately we came to a price that would still win, uh, that would still win for us and a win for him. Um, I mean, you know, just outside of Paris, Ontario, in between Paris and Brantford, um, if you okay. bought for 150 K, 
you're usually going to come out in today's world as a, as a win. And um, he did very well. So he was satisfied. I made one phone call to a, a realtor that I know in that area that I always can trust. Um, he went through the house without me even being there um, with his client <laughs> one visit and the client took it. It ended up being, you know, a 50K assignment fee that uh, took probably three hours of my time. And uh, it closes this week. The buyer himself actually lives less than a kilometer from the property and he bought it for his daughter to then they're going to sever the lot, put another house on it, sell that. So, and then the realtor gets paid too. Um, I mean, that's yeah. a win, 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 right? So um, <laughs> everybody's excited for, for that deal to close. I think it's, uh, you know, July 13th. So on, on uh, Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So, so you make a very fine points, you know, uh, what I found is whenever we assign deals to um, realtors, where the realtor brings a client, that deal almost always closes. You know, yeah. like, and that's <laughs> that's one thing I love about working with realtors because now you have someone else aside yourself that's rooting for the deal. So to your yes. point, it's a win, 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 win. When the seller yeah. is rooting for the deal to close, you are rooting for the deal to close. The realtor is rooting for the deal to close. The buyer is rooting for the deal to close. You know, at that point, even if the lawyers, I love my lawyer, but, you know, even if the lawyers come up with something and try to tank the deal, because it's a win-win-win deal, everyone is incentivized to actually close that deal. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally agree, man. I, I'm very okay with working with realtors on any deal. There's more accountability um, and, and everybody's kind of holding themselves uh, accountable for, for the deal to close. And, and there's one more person in the equation that, as you said, is, is rooting for this thing to, to be successful. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, go ahead. So you mentioned, so you mentioned that you had a bit of negotiation to do with the seller because of the renovation budget and yes. sales and, and negotiation go hand in hand. So from your standpoint, you know, like how did you sort of leverage your sales experience, your sales skills to get the seller to a point where he was able to, you know, come down on price and, and, and still come out of the deal, you know, with a win? Um, you know, throughout the, the walkthrough, I think, you know, for anybody that's, that's new to this, you've got about 45 minutes to build rapport, understand somebody, know what their motivations are and, and, you know, in, in a sense, become their best friend, right? Like, um, understand what their pain points are, as I said earlier in the, in the show, and then, um, make sure that they're aware of what you're also taking on. So, I was able to, you know, basically look this guy in the eye man to man and basically tell him like, listen, man, there's a lot more work that needs to be done than I think you understand. This is a century home. You know, this is, uh, there's like some foundational issues here. The entire place needs to be gutted. Um, and it's a large property. And I think, uh, understanding that he could still walk away with a hefty profit, no headaches at all. Um, and, and just being able to wipe his hands clean with uh, this offer was attractive to him uh, and he trusted me. So um, that all combined ultimately allowed him to make the decision and he made it while I was, was there at the house. Oh, wow. Okay. Fantastic, man. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, 
while everyone is still enjoying the euphoria of the good deal, you know, <laughs> let's bring the, let's bring them back to reality, and you know, let's also share um, the not so good news because again, wholesaling isn't always around in you know, about uh, the good deals, but also um, the uninteresting times as well. So, you know, if you could walk us through any experience that that sits on the other side of the spectrum. Ah, uh, yes. Which one? Uh, there's so many, man. I mean, you know, when you get into wholesaling, you are essentially taking on other people's problems. Um, and I will say that, you know, last year, wholesaling, you took on problems on both sides with the market in the direction that it was, that it, you know, obviously the downward spiral that it, we all experienced. I don't have like one deal in particular that was maybe like the most annoying or like worst wholesale deal. But last year we did have two that, you know, truthfully didn't close. Um, obviously sellers weren't happy about those. I think every wholesaler last year had some deals that didn't close. Um, and thankfully it happened in the latter half of the year where the majority of the, um, downward spiral had already happened and the sellers were able to sell for more on the market, which obviously the repercussions are are much, are, are much less. Um, yep. but they, they obviously weren't happy and, you know, there, there could have been, you know, much worse outcomes that, that could have came from it. I think that that is the one risk of, of wholesaling is being in the cot in the middle of all that. And, and my suggestion to, you know, wholesalers and, uh, starting out or, and, and the, the experts would tell you, you know, now too, that have been doing this for a while yourself, obviously included that in today's market, man, a closing date any longer than 60 days is, is a risk to everybody in my opinion. Um, having a quicker closing in a market that we are living in, it's, it's such up and down with every, you know, Bank of Canada announcement, um, that, uh, shorter <laughs> closings are, are so, so important, uh, for everybody involved, you know, buyer, seller and, and wholesaler risk. Okay. All right. So from your standpoint, like in today's markets, you know, just, to the point that you mentioned, mm-hmm. how do you think you know the the industry has been impacted? Like, um, if you think through 2020, 2021, while you're at GCI and you know, the wholesaling market now, right? Not so many people have you know done wholesaling across both good and bad markets. So I think sure. this is probably the first time that people are you know seeing both markets. Or well, from your standpoint, what do you see? You know, are the key differences? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, uh, in in the hot market that we're in, everybody and their mother was a flipper or a wholesaler. Um, it, it has, you know, erased a lot of competition, I guess you could say. Um, you know, when we were wholesaling back in those days, it seemed like every other deal was a different buyer. Now it's, you know, back to kind of that old school way, which I, I wasn't a part of pre those years, but wholesalers very much had like their internal list that they would go to. Uh, we're constantly talking to the same buyers, getting their feedback on those deals. And um, ultimately, you know, they want to take them over and, and, and do the project. They're getting first right of refusal. Um, I would say that that has what's changed the game the most. Um, that just okay. it's either the price. Oh, the price always has to be lower, as I said before. And it's just really, <laughs> yeah. it's just really weeded out, um, you know, those that are actually in the game to, to flip homes. Okay. A question that I have for you, and, and this is just to find out if you know that you know there is a sales skill to this. You know, someone mentioned to me that um, 
he usually waits to so if he sees a deal from a wholesaler now in this market he would he would wait till he sees like final drop um yeah. last chance uh get it now you know yeah. and then he would he would reach out so do you find that it's worthwhile to increase your price knowing that like in, in today's market the buyers are always going to ask for um right. for you know a price drop like how do you sort of of navigate pricing in today's market yeah i'm actually so glad you brought this up i had a note to bring it up and uh it, i totally forgot about it but if you're a buyer right now that there's you know uh, wholesale deals are dropping in your inbox or you're seeing them mostly in the in the facebook groups I wouldn't necessarily approach it the way you just mentioned, where you think that the wholesaler is desperate. A wholesaler can just release a deal uh, and it's not the end of the world. You move on, you you tell the seller, sorry, the numbers didn't work and and away you go. I I tell everybody I deal with, listen, if there's a deal that comes across your plate that's in your area that you actually like, like the house, excuse me, run, run the numbers that work for you and like, tell us, where you need to be. Um, yeah, and exactly. then we can at least we, yeah. And then we at least know, okay, listen, you know, Joe is ready to commit to this deal or is feeling pretty good uh, about it. If we could get the price down to there. And then we approach the seller. It's like, listen, you know, our guys have taken a look at this. Uh, our investors that we work with are much more confident, uh, at a price point of X. Would you be willing to entertain that? And I, man, I've seen hundred K reductions. You know, I've seen the 50 K reductions, um, Got it. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you never know. There is always that thing of a seller's like, oh, I'm going to try and sell it off market first for a higher price. If it doesn't work, I'll just list it. Right. You never know what a seller is yeah, yeah. actually going to accept. And so if you're a buyer that, yeah, like I said, there's a deal that's in your backyard that you like, go for it. Um, and, and let us know what price it, it needs to be at. We actually appreciate third party um, experience and um, feedback. On, on every deal that we have. Man, thanks for saying that. You know, I wish I could, you know, blow up your feedback, you know, to everyone who cares to listen. But yeah, like the feedback on price is very valuable because the truth is, to your point, whenever we go back to sellers and say, we want to go firm, or it has to be at this price, they are usually willing to give you that price drop because now you are telling them, okay, it's time to go from this deal is going to close or it has to be at this price. So mm-hmm. like to your point, like I've seen multiple cases where we've gotten like 50K discounts, 70K discounts because we were committing to the seller that if they give that discount, we will firm up. And that was right. because we had a buyer who had said, this is the price we needed at. And then yep. once we know that, okay, these guys are not just low-balling us, like they really want the deal, you know, but they explain why it has to be at this price and it makes sense where you're like, okay, you know what, maybe we analyze the deal wrongly or maybe they have resources that make, you know, the deal more expensive. So they want to be more conservative. Who knows, right? Different buyers have different resources. So once we get to that point where the buyer is ready to move, we can then mm-hmm. anchor, you know, the seller's expectation to the buyer's price and get the seller down and just do the deal. Exactly. Yeah. And I've seen it happen time and time again, man. So don't just sit on deals because the deal doesn't, the numbers don't look good from the start. Get in touch with us. Give us the feedback and let's see what we can do. 100%, man. Mm -hmm.
Cool. So we've spoken a lot about wholesaling and, you know, in, in, in more recent times, you've, you've started transitioning, you know, from wholesaling. I wanted to get deeper into that. Um, recently joined um, the mortgage world. So can you just share how that transition has been from wholesaling to you know, the world of, of, of being a mortgage broker? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, in a nutshell, I've loved it. Um, I've wouldn't necessarily have been, always been a numbers guy, but uh, the numbers of deals have have always fascinated me. Um, you know, joining the Finlay team um, has been amazing. We got a great group of guys there. Um, we're uh, the guys are all over social media. Admittedly, I am not. I need to do better at a better job <laughs> of that. Um, but we have, you know, a great online <laughs> presence and, um, you, you know, being in the office and being around the guys is, is very energetic and, and a great group of, of focused individuals who, um, want to provide value and, and be successful. It's, um, it's been an area in terms of like mortgages where I focus much more on the commercial side. Um, I would say I focus <laughs> about 80% of my time on commercial, uh, construction, uh, and CMHC, it's uh, CMHC is that big sexy word only because or I guess acronym, <laughs> um, simply because it's uh, the, the financing with the high interest rates that that really makes a lot of deals work right now. It's um, and so there's been a big push in that space, and I've really just focused. I would say eighty percent of my time there, twenty um, percent residential, eighty percent commercial, and um, it's been. Yeah you know, a solid reward in terms of providing solutions for people with, with larger projects, you know, we're generally North of a million dollars. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's just been a lot of, a lot of fun talking that, that language lately. Okay. So 80% of the commercial and 20 on residential, you know, can you maybe share your thoughts on, you know, why you decided to choose one versus the other? Cause I know some other people would, Probably residential, but mm-hmm. was there a reason you decided to go with commercial? Was it because of the CMHC, or what were the reasons? Um, you know, I got in it into it and started doing some residential work on the background, the underwriting. I was like, man, this is uh, <laughs> there are so many hoops to jump through, and um, I just started to really prospect that in that commercial space. And found that a lot of people were looking for help, and 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 by being able to talk that language, uh, being an investor myself, and then really taking the time to understand um, the products on the commercial side, there just wasn't a lot as many people doing it. And I was able to reach out to individuals with deals, show them I knew what I was talking about, and before I knew it, you know, I was doing their deals. They were starting to refer me to others. I'm constantly getting referrals. And now that we're, you know, the Finley team, we're a CMHC correspondent brokerage. Uh, we can take people directly to CMHC. Uh, we have strong lending partners that are approved by CMHC where we can be extremely competitive with rates. And honestly, no, no project size is too big for us now. So it's allowed Got us it. to really position ourselves. Um, and, you know, we could be doing a 500K deal or we could be doing a, a, a five. Fifty million, hundred million dollar building, and we can be competitive with the uh, the client as if they were going to go direct to lender as well. So all of that combined is 
has just been uh, extremely exciting and exhilarating, to be honest, to be able to, to talk that, that type of game. Okay. So this is actually very interesting because, like, from my standpoint, I know that, yeah, from a wholesaling angle, a lot of the deals that come through are residential deals. But sometimes when I'm looking at multifamily deals, I usually think through what the exit is going to be. You know, how am I going to exit out of the deal? How, how am I going to refire out of the deal? So I just wanted to get your thoughts on your unique perspectives because you've been a wholesaler. You've spent years doing that. Now you are in the mortgage lending world, you know, doing semic stuff. When you look at a multifamily building today, you know, mm-hmm. how do you view that building from, you know, acquisition to exit? Just giving your unique perspective now. Yeah, totally. So um, obviously, like the first thing when anybody approaches me is like, hey, Jay, I'm looking at this deal. It's like, all right, email me the income and expenses and what you think the rents are going to be when you turn over units. And then I'm able to then map out from them kind of, you know, purchase price, what they're looking at in terms of equity requirements um, across different products, everything from conventional, you know, to private uh, and even acquisition with CMHC. And then we can look at, okay, how are you going to turn over this building? What's your timeline? What's your renovation budget? And after you do so, what type of debt can be supported by the rents that the new rents that this building is going to, to generate? And I can underwrite that. Um, based on today's environment uh, of what CMHC is lending on. If this takes two years, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball on where, you know, the exit strategy to CMHC might be then. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, based on today's rates and, and today's lending parameters, here are your options for your exit. And 90, 9 out of 10 times right now, it's it's always CMHC because of where rates are, are at with a commercial conventional lender, yeah. Okay, so today, where would you say CMHC rates are? Yeah, so uh, CMHC follows the CMB, Canadian Mortgage Bond, uh, the market, the five and the 10 year. Um, it really depends on the size of your loan. Um, we're underwriting at okay. 5% right now. But I mean, you know, if you asked me at the start of May, you would have been at 4%. Uh, and Whoa. if you ask me in the fall where things will be, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I shouldn't say I, I couldn't tell you. We just underwrite conservatively. Um, you know, hopefully yep. we don't see CMHC rates in the sixes. But, you know, a lot of things are happening these days. Uh, and the bond market is, you know, running rampant at the moment, unfortunately, for, you know, everybody, as you can see it in even the residential fixed rates as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. so. Do you think now that you're in the mortgage space, do you think like your experience here is actively complementing your wholesaling business? Um, I would say that there's less crossover in terms of like deal flow per se, but there's a lot of crossover and just being able to, to talk real estate uh, as an investor, to talk renovations. Um, it's not like I'm like, oh, you know, saw that wholesale deal. Now I'm financing it. It's more so like, oh, you're going <laughs> to you know, you're going to renovate this building um, based on these renovations. You're going to do X, X and X. Have you thought about maybe just doing this or, you know, being able to talk renovation strategies with people, um, understanding budgets and then uh, also just just understanding the building in general. Right. And then what real estate is. There's a lot of mortgage agents out there who have just become a mortgage agent um, and that's OK. 
Um, but a lot of them are more so focused on residential and uh, retail buyers with the single family homes. Um, that, yeah. that I would say is my advantage of being in the wholesaling is being able to just like talk the investor shop um, and show people value that way. Okay. Okay. All right. Perfect, man. So <laughs> would you say, or maybe I should ask, what are some of the challenges that you are facing or you've faced since you've sort of transitioned from wholesaling to the mortgage world? Yeah, good question, man. Um, I would just say um, the challenge with every deal uh, in the mortgage world right now, whether it is on residential, the commercial, or the construction side, uh, or even CMHC, there's hair on every deal. Everybody has, has, has challenges. Yeah. Nothing is smooth right now. Uh, as you know, even in wholesaling, it's it's challenging, right? So um, yeah. just the, you know, from, from hearing how mortgages were when rates were extremely low to, to where they are now, um, you know, that, that has been the, the challenge. Um, you know, no one on the red side, no one qualifies easily. Um, you know, you can get tapped out quite quickly, especially if you're looking to borrow again with, you know, variable rates in your portfolio. Your ratios are usually out of line um, on the commercial yep. side. Uh, the conventional method, you know, with with credit unions and, and big banks is all but tapped out in terms of, you know, long term debt uh, as rate, rates are just too high to really make exit exit work. And then. If you're trying to pull off construction projects right now, you, you know, you for one, you better know what you're doing and or have team members yep. that do. And then you better have liquidity or yep. lenders are just not going to go near it at all. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So with, with all these challenges, you've mentioned that, you know, it seems like everyone is just running towards CMHC because mm -hmm. probably the lower rates. But Again, it's a hot topic. Everyone is just saying CMHC. I'm sure a lot of people don't even know what the full meaning of CMHC is. You know, it's just like CMHC. CMHC. But if yeah. you could take some time to at least school us or educate us on, you know, why there's so much buzz around CMHC, what CMHC is, why it's so valuable to investors right now. Um, and yeah, you know, just give us um, your thoughts on, on why, like, it's the current rave right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, CMHC essentially in, insures mortgages, right? So if an investor goes belly up, you know, there's, there's really no risk to um, the lenders that are actually lending out the money. Um, and so the, okay. with, with the mortgage being insured, whether it's on like a single family residential house, it's very similar to like a first time home buyer getting 5% uh, down and having that mortgage insured versus a okay. uh, multifamily investor going to CMHC and getting their mortgage insured. Um, there's premiums on the back end of each. And then there's uh, on the multifamily side, you know, right now rates are, are, are lower than you would see on the conventional. Um, but the amortization piece is huge. Um, you know, you started a 40 year amortization, you can get up to a 50 year amortization. Um, and then hmm. the loan to value piece is, is massive as well, up to up to 95% uh, loan to value. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people just think that you automatically get 95% loan to value, but you, um, <laughs> your income of your building must be able to support 95% loan to value. Um, so all those yeah. things combined, you know, dragging out the amortization, uh, lower interest rates and higher LTVs is really providing the only exit for most people's projects to actually work. 
Yeah. So there's one thing that I know that I recently um, found out. I'm, you know, shout out to Kenny because you know he's been super, super helpful with, you know, educating me. Um, but I found out that, you know, like to your point, irrespective of what the, the building are is for, you know, it, like you would get what is supported by the income of the building, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you're, your building are is for hundred million, right? But the income of the building is only like hundred thousand dollars. There's a debt service ratio that you know the bank would take into account, and they would only give you the loan you know, that covers um, that the income can cover, irrespective of right. you know, what the appraised value is. So, like, it's good you mentioned that, I, and I also wanted to echo that. You know that that's something that I know that well, I didn't know like earlier on. Um, I was always thinking, you know, if you have a, a high appraised value, you would get your ninety five percent LTV. But mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case. You would get it to the tune of what your income can support. Correct. Yeah, and that's a massive misconception across the board for commercial financing. Most people just assume on commercial that, oh, I'm going to get 75% loan to value on purchase. Um, again, you have to remember that the bank or whoever is lending in the commercial space looks at this as a business and they're not going to give you a loan that runs in the red. They're just not. So they're going to look yeah. at the debt service yeah. coverage ratio, right? Um, which essentially is your NOI divided by your annual mortgage um, payment. And that's got to eat or, uh, match a certain equation, usually 1.1 or 1.2, as you know. Um, and, yeah. and from there, um, that we work backwards from uh, what, what the loan can can support. So um, if you, you know, just think that you're going to get 95% loan to value on your building, um, it's just not the case, uh, unfortunately, um, your, your income has to, to support it. And so I, you know, people are like, oh, well, Jay, my building's worth 5 million. It's like, honestly, I, I don't care. That's great. And you might be able to sell yeah. it for, for 5 million one day. I'm not sure, but um I want to know what it, it wouldn't finance, yeah. Income, yeah, exactly what the income can support. Cool, man. So, like, it's so interesting that you share this because, again, I, I agree with you that it's a huge misconception. So, the, the combination of your wealth of experience with wholesaling and you know what you are doing in the mortgage space now, if you wanted to give investors like an advice, right? Um, on the deal side, on the financing side, you know, given the environment that we're in, you know, what would that advice be? Yeah, man. So right now I would just say, be patient in finding the right deal. Um, don't do anything without talking to your mortgage agent. Honestly, I say that because, um, the, the environment is changing almost daily. Um, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity out there and a lot more coming. So be patient. Um, extend your, your timeline horizons on deals. No longer are we turning over buildings in 12 months. Um, it is, it's a 24 month (laughs) timeline. You know, if you're going to purchase a multifamily building in private debt, you better know what you're doing. Um, it's no joke, man. Like, eh, I, I, I truly, um, you know, want to repeat that. Like if you are going to close privately, you need to know what you're doing and you need to know what your, your, you know, your 24 month timeline looks like. Um, yeah. And then the last one is if you're in Ontario, consider other provinces. Um, I've been doing some, some great deals in Alberta, some great deals in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick, um, where the numbers are still very, uh, attractive, um, in terms of getting into buildings. 
uh, where you can get high loan to value yep. still in that commercial space. Um, and then there's, you know, less tenant laws as well involved in those provinces. And the prices are still, I would say, you know, at least, you know what the Ontario and BC numbers have done, right? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the prices are still very relevant to what the income of these buildings produce. Um, whereas those yeah. prices in Ontario have gone through the roof and are making it challenging for deals to happen in the multifamily space just because the income isn't there to support it. So think of other provinces too. <clears throat> okay, man. Cool. Perfect. So, you know, that brings us to the end of the show. We have a question for you, man, before we let you go, which is our question of the show. Can you tell us your greatest L in real estate and what you learned from it? My biggest L. Um, before I got into real estate full time, I thought it would be a good idea to flip houses in Buffalo, New York. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So if you've ever go on, go on Zillow and the second you cross from Niagara Falls, Canada, I think there's even been some Instagrams I've seen floating around of like Niagara Falls, Canada and Niagara Falls, New York, and the price is dropping considerably. So, you know, yeah. we, I went over there, I think it was 2019 and bought a couple houses for like 40 grand. And, um, <laughs> it was at the time it was like, okay, you know, we, we were looking at duplexes. Uh, we bought a duplex and a, and a single family home. Uh, each one was 40 grand. The other was 45 grand. And the ARVs were like a low one, you know, well, 120 K and the numbers truly did work. We just did not um, uh, hire correctly in terms of our contractor. We didn't vet correctly. And ultimately, he yeah. ran off with some of our money. Uh, we ended up losing, I think. Whoa. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it was actually a referral from an investor there. And one thing led to another. He ended up running off with our money. We were able to exit the deals. But I think all in all, we lost like 40 grand. So, um, you know, the, the, what did I learn from that? Vet your contractors, vet everybody that you're going to, you know, give money to. But it was pretty wild. So, uh, and, and consider maybe really doing your research before entering the Buffalo market. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. How long ago was this? Uh, that was 2019, and we ended up selling them in, like, April of 2020. So like we're trying to sell these houses where we can't go over the border and we got a contractor that's just non-responsive and we got <laughs> properties that are un incomplete. It was, it was a very stressful and interesting time to say the least. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jason, for, for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you here and thank you for, share your wealth of experience with everyone on this call. Um, before we let you go, if anyone wants to connect with you, where can they do that? Yeah, man. I mean, on Facebook, just search me, Jason McNeil, um, Instagram, J McNeil, McNeil with two L's, uh, seven. So J McNeil seven. Uh, and then the email inbox that I'm in daily at the moment is Jason at the Findlay, F-I-N-D-L-A-Y, mortgageteam.ca. I'd be happy to hop on calls with anybody to discuss wholesaling, mortgages, uh, investments, and, and, and would be happy to also meet up to go for coffees, you name it. So uh, it's been a pleasure, Deji. You, you know, this is my first podcast, as I said, 
and uh, really happy to have you on here today. Thank you for coming on, man. Um, and thanks for sharing your fantastic story um, of your journey. So that's it, folks. Thank you very much for listening to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and be sure to hit that subscribe button and notification button so that you know when this episode drops and the next one drops. Mm -hmm. Until then, remember, a daily day keeps scarcity at bay.